I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome along to a full hour of the Book Show Christmas Day special here on RTE Radio 1. Last year we had a show in front of a studio audience with a live band and live panels. This year, of course, it's going to be different as Christmas is for you. But we are going to go around the country. We are going to talk to lots of authors. You can join me to find out which one fell into her Christmas tree recently, who uses an inflatable doll for games on Christmas Day, and which author decorates his garden with lights in exactly the same shambolic fashion that I've done. We've also asked all of our book clubs across the country to recommend some books you might not otherwise have thought of to spend all those lovely Christmas book tokens on. Christmas greetings, everyone, from Aoife and the Wicklow Women's Book Club in Greystones, North County Wicklow. What a lovely Christmas conundrum to decide how to spend your book tokens. Our book club found it hard to recommend just one book, but in the end we settled on Notes to Self, a powerful and poignant book of essays by Emily Pine. As the title suggests, this is a very intimate book from a woman brave enough to share her notes to self with the world. She writes with directness and honesty, compassion and insight on a range of topics from feminism to family, love to loss. Happy reading this Christmas and throughout 2021 from the Wicklow Women's Book Club in North County Wicklow. I'm hearing the clinking of expensive glassware. Maybe I'm picturing the imbibing of a quality beverage. You might not always find them in the kitchen at parties, but crime writers are a social bunch. I should know that. I've spent much time with them in the past, and I have two of the very finest with me now. Hello, Liz Nugent and Catherine Ryan Howard. Hello, and happy Christmas. And most importantly, the joy that I'm feeling in that you are the first two writers I've had sit in a room with me this whole year. I know. It's it's, it's so weird to actually be in a studio because everything else we've done has been over Zoom or Skype or whatever. Same for you, Kevin? Yeah, but I have been drinking over Zoom as well. So, you know, (laughs) it's just more fun this way. (laughs) As long as you haven't muted yourself accidentally and then you're talking. It is strange to talk to people where there's not a screen between between you and them. But okay, so we're we're here uh, uh, on Christmas Day. We're here to talk about crime, though, as well. Liz, Christmas is a really good time for crime. I mean, you would argue, obviously, the rest of the year is as well. But Christmas definitely is. Yeah, I've used Christmas for for, for various uh, parts of my books in which various things happen. But just thinking about Christmas, right, in a normal year, you would have an entire family stuck together. That's a recipe for disaster. But also, you have loads of murder weapons. You have that big carving fork. You're, is that the thing you call the thing that I prongs know, into the I don't have anything turkey? to do with the food in my head. <laughs> okay. The, the prong thing. You have, yeah, okay. yeah, the prong thing for the, for, the, for the turkey. Thing, yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. I think that's called a carving fork. You have that. You have the carving knife. You've got the good crystal which is much sharper than your average glass. You know, there are plenty of murder weapons around. They're heavy logs. Um, They're heavy logs. Somebody's been out chopping those logs, so no doubt there's an axe (laughs) sticking around. So really, you know, there is no excuse not to have a good murder. I'm starting to regret spending Christmas with Liz Nugent (laughs) at this stage. I don't feel safe. I knew this was going to take a dark turn. I just didn't think it would happen so, so quickly. I hate to ask this question. Do you like Christmas? Like I was thinking exactly the same thing yeah. as you were speaking. <laughs> I wouldn't be the most Christmassy 
person. I'm not saying I'm a Grinch, but we don't have a Christmas tree and haven't had one for about four years. Oh, my God. Um, Neither do I. It's yeah. Okay. Well, what? We, just, we stuck some lights on the tree in the front garden just so everybody thinks we like Christmas. Oh, my God. Mine has been up since mid-November. And there was a whole planning stage of what colour we were going for. I say we, it's just me. Uh, what colour I was going to go for, because this is my first year in an apartment that is big enough to actually put a tree in. Mm-hmm. So it was this whole like month long just planning stage. Then there was the purchasing stage and then there was the decorating stage. I this cannot believe neither of you have a Christmas tree. Although my thought is that like you uh, tend to set your stuff at a completely different time of the year usually. I never go near Christmas because I'm lazy out and I'm always setting the book during the time that I'm writing it. Which, because my deadlines tend to be in September, October, is like spring, summer. Um, and usually by Christmas... As I am this Christmas, I don't even want to think about the book that I'm writing because I've just done, you know, three drafts of it. And if I ever see it again, it'll be too soon. Um, so Christmas for me is a time to forget about work and writing, um, except usually the next murder is percolating at the back of my head somewhere. Can I ask, and again, this kind of almost goes back to where, where I began, Crime writers, as far as I know from all of you and from having met at festivals and we've been and we've done stuff together, they're, they're an extremely, you know, collegial, fun, party-loving... Yeah, well, yeah. You, you use whatever phrase you want, bunch. This obviously has been a year where, where kind of none of that has happened. Has that been strange? Yeah, I mean, like the Book Awards was always, you know, the Christmas party and it was really crappy not to have that big event where you get to meet... You know, the librarians would turn up, the booksellers would turn up, people like yourself, and the broadcasters yeah. who push books would, would show up, the writers, the publishers, because it was it's the place where everybody gets together and there's a little bitching goes on, but mostly... A it's little. Speak for just yourself. a tiny bit. <laughs> I like that both of us are taking opposite ends. You're going, oh no, and I'm going, a little? <laughs> We've all been well, there. I'm yeah. being sarcastic, so... <laughs> to, and and to, tell me, about how about you, Catherine? How do you feel about, about this kind of lack of being around other people in the year? Is that I, a big I, deal? I mean, I'm incredibly introverted. Like, I know people find that hard to believe, but... You are not. I am, because introversion isn't about, like, shy or confidence it's about where you get your energy so when I'm with other people like as much as I love it that's a drain on my energy and then I have to be by myself to like recharge the batteries so in many ways you know I feel sort of ideally placed to get through this year but like there's ways and means like the night at the Irish Book Awards I still woke up the next morning with my Irish Book Awards hangover because I had a Zoom party with two of my writing friends including Hazel who was also shortlisted <laughs> and it was so funny I had to replace my keyboard due to a Prosecco accident even though you don't even need your keyboard during Zoom calls so I don't know why I left it out there Yeah what was that about? Um, I came out the next morning to my living room and you would swear 10 people had been having a there was crisps on the floor there was a bottle of Prosecco open I don't even remember opening and I can't believe I'm going to admit this on the radio but at the end of the night I fell into the aforementioned Christmas tree so 
I had a great time. I mean, of course, I would have preferred to go to the Irish Book Awards. But hey, when you're at home, you don't have to wear Spanx. And you are so close to your bed at the end of the night, you can just fall in. But you have no no hotel staff to clean up after you. That was the only downside. I did have to clean it up myself. Tell me a little bit, both of you, about, uh, because you both had books out this year. And that as well has been a strange experience in, in 2020 about having books out. Maybe Catherine, tell us. Mine came out at a very weird time when we were allowed out, but not everything was open and, and back up. So it was sort of the beginning of August. The Nothing Man is my latest book. And I know you're not supposed to have a favourite child, but that is absolutely my favourite one. And it really felt like a special book for me personally. And it was sort of the culmination of a lot of things you know, my interests and all my stuff that I had been obsessed with when I was growing up and true crime and everything. And it came out in a time when, you know, people were not going to bookshops, really. We couldn't do a launch. Um, you couldn't do any in-person stuff. And it, it I felt bad for the book, honestly. Like, I felt a, a heartache for the book. But look, it could have been worse. And every book gets too opportunities because it comes out initially in the larger format and then it'll be out in paperback in May and I'm just hoping May will be a different world and it will get that chance that I think it deserves but I felt still lucky to have my job Rick like we were surrounded by people in music and events and theatre who couldn't do their job if my complaint was that you know oh we can't have a launch that feels very like first world problems to me so I was grateful that I could still do my job And you've had one of those years as well Liz in that Our Little Cruelties came out March am I right? Yeah two days before the bookshops closed (laughs) two days before shutdown so um, it was in the window of all of the debris all over the country but you couldn't you couldn't get in. So I'm sure all those copies are going to be returned as like sun damage or whatever because so that's going to affect all my sales and everything because every it was in the window but nobody could get in to buy it. But like in fairness, Dubray and all of the nearly all of the bookshops got their act together pretty quickly and started moving their stuff online. I mean, they really responded so brilliantly. And particularly the the smaller ones like Gutter and Raven and O'Mahony's and Limerick and, you know, No Alibis in Belfast, all the bookshops all over the, all over the country um, really got into the online thing. So I don't think people were too deprived of books, but they didn't get the experience of walking in and browsing. You know, which is, you know, what I like to do in a bookshop. So um, I I like the book did well. I mean, it was in the top 10 for, I think, five months and it was number one for about 14 weeks or something. But to be honest, that's because there was no competition because there was no other books out. And for Liz Nugent. (laughs) Seriously, there were no no, no. no other books out. I think it's in the history of Liz Nugent. That's just okay. That's fine. It's like, that's not good. Whereas I'd be like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. It was brilliant. But honestly, because because of, of the lockdown, so many other publishers pulled back you know, so who knows? Like it, it was. It, it's impossible to tell. Like I, I, I don't know what the numbers the are going to be. Take the glory and stop trying to. That's why we all loved it, it because it was the only thing out there. This has been genuinely a joy to have both of you sitting in front of me, um, Liz Nugent, Catherine Ryan Howard. Have a brilliant twenty twenty one, and thanks for being with us on the book show. Thank, Thank you, you and Thank Merry you so Christmas. Much. Happy Christmas. Clink. Hi. Owen here from the Tanyard Lane Book Club, Tullamore, County Offaly. 
If we were to recommend one book to purchase with your book tokens, it would be Dead Wrong by Noel Horton. This is the second outing for Detective Constable Maggie Jemison, and the writing is totally authentic because of the author's experience as a senior probation officer. The tagline reads, The serial killer is behind bars, but the murders are just beginning. We start our 2021 reads with the next book in the sequence, titled Dead Perfect. Uh, and Miss Holton has agreed to join us via Zoom for a chat. We're really looking forward to that. Meantime, here's wishing you all a happy, peaceful Christmas. Please stay safe, everyone. Hello, this is Claire Savage from the Giants Causeway Book Club in County Antrim. If we were to recommend one book for you to spend your book tokens on, then it would be our top read from this year, which is The Land Beyond by Leon McCarn. Northern Irish adventurer and filmmaker Leon really brings the landscape and the people of the Middle East to life as he writes about his 1,000-mile walk through this ancient part of the world, making this a fascinating and enjoyable read. Happy Christmas from the Causeway Coast. Now let's go to the south of the country. We're going to go to Cork. You could imagine something cosy, if not tranquil, maybe a lair in which to hibernate as much as you can for the colder months. Having said that, I'm imagining a cold car park uh, on a roof where she wrote her most recent book, Happy Christmas, Derin the Grefe. <laughs> Thank you. Happy Christmas to you too. <laughs> and what an amazing year for you in particular. This is like you've just won the Unpost Irish Book of the Year. Are you still, how are you dealing with that in your own head? Are you still pinching yourself? I mean, yeah, I am still pinching myself. In in a lot of ways, it feels like it's happening to someone else, you know. Um, the experience of writing the book on that freezing cold car park roof was very far removed from the glamour of the Unpost Irish Book Awards. But, oh my God, I, I, I tell you, I was really thrilled because of the fact that it's voted by readers. And you know me, I'm a bookworm myself, so... The thoughts of all these other readers taking this book to their hearts is really, it's really moving. It's really moving and I'm delighted. And also, it's important to say, this is Tramp Press, my publisher's third win in five years, which just seems unbelievable. And like, I mean, I'm delighted for them as well. They do know exactly how to pick the right ones, don't they? Just explain to me really very briefly for people who don't know. I know because I follow you on Instagram. So I was aware that you were in the process of writing something. I wasn't sure what it was. I knew that it involved being on the top of a car park on a lot of days. Maybe just explain to people what happened there. Well, um, I suppose my little routine, like a lot of writers would have their own routine um, as they're facing into a new book. And I used to drop my kids to school, drop my youngest to play school. And then I knew that the clock was ticking and I only had three hours to write. So I used to drive to the roof of a free multi-storey car park nearby, open the laptop. Oftentimes I'd have my gloves or my cup of coffee or something like that and just write and write and write. And I suppose... um, in a very 21st century kind of way, I kept a visual diary of those mornings. I used to often take a photo of myself with the car park roof visible in the background um, and post it on Instagram. And I found it really encouraging how people interacted with that. And I could also identify with that, too, because I had had that feeling looking at other writers like, I mean, for example, there's a brilliant writer, Sarah Maria Griffin, who's an essayist and, and a fiction writer, too. 
And she often used to take selfies of herself, often in the National Library, if I remember, where she was writing her books. And I used to have that same feeling of almost being on team Sarah Maria and cheering her on as she was putting in the hours and hours and days and days of writing her books. So I suppose I undertook that visual diary as a kind of homage to her as well. So thanks, Sarah Maria. We talked to you a little bit uh, earlier in the year, or rather one of our book clubs did, and you mentioned your plans to hibernate. How's that going? Are you are you a winter animal or is it just a case of balancing the seasons? And, 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 and how's that going for you? I think it's that thing with writers and, and in general where sometimes everything can get a little overwhelming, can't it? You know, like, I mean, this year I think has been full on for all of us and sometimes the screens in particular get too much for me. So... I had a real sense of stepping back in particular from Twitter. Um, So that has been going great. And what I found myself doing is revisiting a lot of books that I've really, really enjoyed, especially poetry. I'm such a sucker for poetry. Um, So even the, the books that I've really enjoyed this year, I found myself reading again for a second or a third time. The ones I've really enjoyed, like Sean Hewitt's Tongues of Fire and Ella Freer's Shine Darling and there was a great book, a collected book of poems by Paula Meehan called As If By Magic. So my process in my hibernation is just going back to things I've loved before and just kind of re-engaging with them, I suppose. And it, it feels great. It feels great. It's a very snug way to spend the winter and I re- recommend it to all my fellow bookworms out there. Given the day that's in it, are you a fan of Christmas in general? Oh, God, yeah, I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. And and we have a little tradition in our own house where we tend to make little videos of ourselves and the kids throughout the day and then um, stick it all together in a longer video, which is always hilarious and ridiculous. <laughs> um, so we tend to do that every year and, and watch back the, the ones from previous years. And that's always great fun. But apart from that, it's quiet enough, to be honest, you know, I suppose like all families with small kids. And tell us a little bit about where 2021 is going for you, or do you know that at this stage? Don't really know that. And it feels very exciting to me. I know a a lot of people feel pressure looking forwards and kind of thinking they have to deliver the next book. But I find it really, really exciting not to know what's going to happen next. Um, I do have a book of poems in English coming out in springtime from Daedalus Press, which is called To Star the Dark. And apart from that, I'm just looking forward to seeing where I'll go and to reading loads of new books. And I'm sure you're the same. I'm looking at the list of books that are coming next year and I'm getting kind of almost giddy with excitement. I mean, Megan Nolan and Kerry Nigohertig and Emer Ryan. And oh, my God, we'll be here all day if I start listing out the books I'm looking forward to. But I think it's going to be a great year for all of us readers. As always, my only concern is being killed by my own TBR pile as it falls over on top of me. I have said this in many different places. I'm going to say it to your face one more time. It is my book of 2020, A Ghost in the Throat. There in the Grifa. Thanks a million for coming on the programme and for talking to us and happy Christmas. Thank you. Thank you for being so kind. Happy Christmas. Hi, this is Anne from the best book club ever in Mallow, County Cork. And if we were to recommend one book for you to spend your book tokens on, it would be The One in a Million Boy by Monica Wood. It is the story of the relationships between a series of quirky characters, including an 11-year-old boy and a 104-year-old woman. 
covering themes of grief, friendship, ageing and regret, which succeeds in being funny and irreverent and utterly heartwarming. Happy Christmas from Mellow. It's time to escape, if only in my own imagination, sadly, westwards here from the RTE Radio Centre to RTE Galway. I'm thinking wind and waves and eggnog, even though I'm not really sure what goes into eggnog, and a bit of an old fire to drive the cold winter away. Elaine Feeney and Mike McCormick of Galway and Mayo, respectively. Happy Christmas and welcome to the book show. Happy, Happy Christmas, Christmas, Rick. <laughs> El- Elaine... I'm going to start with with you, maybe. I, I've heard rumour, uh, confirmed through a number of sources, that you bring the Christmas cheer every year. Is this true? Yeah, that's true, sadly. <laughs> I, I, that's my role in life now. And uh, not only do I have to cook the dinner, I also am known for my parlour games. What sort? What are we talking about? Mm. Well, you know, it started off a few years ago that everyone kind of tired of sitting around watching telly and talking and having conversations. So, you know, we started with the usual board games and the cards. But uh, a couple of years ago, I happened on the best game ever. Well, I love it, but my family have grown to really hate it. Called Who's the Dude? <laughs> Is this, and so, we, should, we should qualify this by saying that just in case there are sensitive ears, this involves a blow-up doll. It Carry does, but it's a, blow up, <laughs> it's a blow up doll like in a GAA outfit. Oh, well, that's, that what, that's fine then. Be, <laughs> like, like with a headband and it's the Limerick colours, weirdly actually, so it's a good year for this, but uh, green, green and white togs. So anyway, you blow the guy up and you have to kind of do charades with him. So uh, I just thought, you know, my mother wasn't very up for the charades and I thought this was a good way to ease her into it anyway. But... Um, uh, we've burst him now the last few, <laughs> few years. <laughs> so he's like one of those, you know, those paddling pools that kids would have in the summer with the plasters stuck on it. We did try the plasters to kind of revive him for New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, but it didn't work. So it's sort of good because you have to get a new one every year. So it's a very good idea by whatever company have have it running. It's yeah, great, a, great crack. A bicycle route. Repair kit. <laughs> that, that, isn't that it? Honestly, Mike, he went through some tackles in my sitting room over the years. <laughs> Mike, Mike, please tell me that your Christmases are a little bit more normal, just a tiny bit. Oh yeah, I, we do, we don't we don't do anything like that. We just sit around and get get fed and just sleep and and uh, we. I suppose we would wonder if a blow up doll crossed the room. <laughs> <laughs> so far, it hasn't happened, but uh, there's there's always a first time for these things, yeah. Well, there's actually entry level inflatables, I have to say, because we oh did start off with <laughs> reindeer <laughs> antlers. <laughs> I mean, my mother kneeling in front of the telly one Christmas, throwing hoops at her. <laughs> So you got started that. The night could descend into that, all right. Yeah, exactly. Phrases you did not think you would hear on RTE Radio 1 on Christmas Day. Entry-level inflatables is very much part of it. You, as, as Mike, has, has your Christmas changed now ever since ever since your little guy has kind of grown up? Oh, of course it has, yeah. Our little Manning is, is six years old and um, it's, it's kind of difficult to conceive of it now. Christmas without, without the red man coming down the chimney. We hope Santa will keep coming until he's 21 or something yeah. like that. <laughs> he I'm, still comes to me. Yeah, I'm, say, yeah. I'm 47, he still comes to me. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe, and I hate bringing work into conversations like this, but both of you have, have, have been involved in one form or another with, with, with teaching over, over the years as well. How, how was that for you? 
Well, yeah, look, I was hoping to get into the classroom this this year, if only just for a bit of the camaraderie. And but it, but actually it went very well for me now. It did. It went well. And a shout out to all my great students on the poetry course in NUIG. They were fantastic and they turned up. So they did. <laughs> they turned up every week. And, you know, and, and they were just getting to know each other and they were just getting to know me. So it was a big ask. But um, it thankfully it went well. They were a good chatty bunch, which helped. As opposed to the cameras off type, who you're not really sure well, whether they're there or not. That's that that is that is the thing. I I, I had I had wondered why I couldn't get my students <clears throat> to bring up the cameras, and um, and then I, I walked. I went across to the shop. It was five or six nights ago, and I met my neighbour. And it was it was six o'clock at night, and she was in, in her pajamas. She's in college as well, and she told me that 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 she she sits in the bed uh, with her laptop on that. And of course, that's, I tweaked it then. That's why my students don't bring up their camera because they're all sitting in bed with bowls of cereals <laughs> and bed heads on them and, and pyjamas on them. But um, they've been great. And, 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 and like Elaine, a big shout out to them. It's been really difficult and they've been terribly shortchanged by this whole year, particularly first years who were mm. gearing up for a big adventure and that. And it didn't happen. And this happened. This online thing happened, and that's a skill in itself. But um, it doesn't come near the the crack that you have uh, in university. And God mm. willing, uh, next year will be better for them, and be and it'll be uh, different and a whole different experience for them. I know, I know it's work related as well, Elaine, but a much better, much nicer kind of work. As you were, your first novel came out this year. You were one of those people that kind of got caught up in the when are we going to bring our book out conundrum. Oh yeah, it was such a touch and go, and 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 it's a sort of a thing you have to. I didn't really realise you have to psych yourself up for it. It kind of takes a lot of energy. So, yeah, it was coming out in April, April, April. And then suddenly, uh, yeah, I think I was just the first crop that were cancelled. And then it was paused. And like we were sure August would be great and we'd have the big launch and we'd have the bad wine and we'd all be in Octons, but no. So, um, look, it's been it, for what for what the year was, I've been incredibly lucky. So I, I am really, really thankful for that. But it was it was a, an unusual experience. You ended up in a lot of lists in a lot of those very <laughs> shiny supplements in Sunday newspapers at the end of the year. That must have been at least gratifying. I hope they're all the good lists. <laughs> it the first, first time in my life I made it onto the good list. <laughs> yeah, not the naughty list. Yeah. Uh, it was just lovely. It was absolutely lovely. And, and there's been a lot of warmth and, and a lot of kindness. And, and from this man sitting opposite me, especially Mr McCormack, one of the very early readers who wasn't afraid to put his, his stamp of approval on it, um, which, you know, it really settles you because I, I really was very nervous about it. I was very nervous about the whole... I wanted to pull the books off the bookshelves. I was kind of glad at one stage they were all closed. But um, look, it's all a bit, it's all settled down a bit now. And and I'm just going to hope now over the next few days of holidays that I can enjoy it. And Mike, for you, you you obviously hadn't had a book out this year, but how has the the reading and the writing been going in 2020? You think you're going to get loads of, of work done. And I thought I was going to get loads of work done. But I was talking to um, Arnold Fanning, Arnold Thomas Fanning. He had a great take on this. And he he was saying, he says, I think people, how did people ever think it was a time to do work? He says, it actually was a time to rest. He says, this was a crisis. It was a time to rest, not to do work and to, and to take stock of. So I've, I'm kind of more at peace with the idea now uh, with, with what I did do and what I didn't do at the end of the year. I'm not so panicked about it and that. And I, I, I did publish... It's it's surprising how how little can make you happy at that. But I did publish one short story there in the last week or two, and and that kind of ended the year on a happier note. So I was pleased with that. And how was your reading over the year? 
Um, again, not as much as I wanted, but I did get tangled up in a series of books that I've, I've really enjoyed. Um, Mick Heron is, a, is an English writer and, and uh, he's thought to be the successor to John le Carre and he writes these spy novels and it's, it completely undersells them to say that they're comic spy thrillers, but they're awful funny and they are spy thrillers. And um, the first one is called Slow Horses. And I've read seven or eight of them this year, and they were—they're a continual marvel of invention, comedy, brilliant prose, and insight. They—they were kind of one of the highlights of my year. I have to say, reading those books, he—he he really is quite something. I think there's been made into a TV program by by uh, Apple or something. Uh, I won't let that put me off. Uh, on, <laughs> on the on the list of things that are incredibly Galway. And actually, I think that there's been a lot of this happening around the country this year. Sea swimming is well up there. And you're both well involved, I hear. I'm so glad we've never met. Yeah, <laughs> I was wondering about that. Where do you go, uh, ladies? Black Rock. Oh, I don't yeah. go quite that far. I go to the ladies' beach. Oh, stay there now and I'll stay in Black Rock. All right, OK. Because yeah. <laughs> I've, I've met a few students now and I, I, it'd be awkward to meet my boss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, at, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, although the last few times was very, very cold and I kind of got that ice cream brain that uh, lasted brain for a freeze. while. Yeah, yeah till I had a few hot ones. So when, was the, when was the last time you went? About two weeks ago, I think. I've heard that it's that once December came in that it got really, that there's been a sudden... A, a sudden dip. Yeah. <laughs> well, someone gave me really good advice. Um, go in backwards. But I'm terribly clumsy, so that's a whole other slew of problems. Do you lep off the tower? Oh no, I do not. Oh, not at all. I, I'm, I'm quite a coward in all areas of sport. Yeah, no, myself, myself, and and the little fellow, we go up to 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 look down off it and that. And yeah, I think yeah, I, I can't ever see myself doing it, or there being a time in my life when I could do it. I, I, I was going to yeah. ask yeah. Mike. I like this idea that you, you, I've heard you say, which is that you'd advocate for periods of lockdown long after COVID is gone. Now, this is a brave move on your part. Tell me, about it this. is a brave move, and and I don't expect the idea to take hold immediately. But I, I will keep banging on it. As I think the world should lock down for three months of every year. That everyone should stay at home and mind their own business and uh, <laughs> spend time playing with their kids and everything. I I think it's a brilliant idea. I don't think it'll take on, but remember the no smoking ban and the elimination of the plastic bag. <laughs> they, they, yeah. they didn't take on either. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with Mike. I actually think we should be in hibernation for three months because I think there's a lot of on at the moment, isn't there? And it's kind of like, no, it's the three months off. I'm literally off, you know. Uh, we, we discovered the Monavay Woods down near us. Now, my husband goes there all the time, but we had time to go there with the kids and actually look at things. Yeah. Not rush them in for the walk and out. You know, yeah. it was mindful and fun. And yeah, it, it, my older lad is in Leavencert now and I feel like I've snatched back a bit of his childhood. I, and I've had him for uh, this year. And, you know, like he's obviously going to go out into the big mad world soon. But I felt like I got something back of what it was when he was a child and playing the board games and having the fun yeah. as he was stuck with me as his entertainer. Did you, yeah, I would advocate March to May. <laughs> the, world should, the world should lock down. There's plenty of the year left after that. Anybody <laughs> has any things. anybody has a theory as to how we can pause capitalism while we do that, I'm all, I'm all for that as well. You can get in contact with us. Mm-hmm. Elaine Feeney and Mike McCormack, a very happy Christmas to both of you and thanks for joining us from Galway. Happy Christmas, Rick. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, Rick, and to all the listeners. Have a good one. Hi there, this is Triona from Read Between the Wines Book Club in Bonratty, County Clare. 
And if we were to recommend one book you should spend your book tokens on, and there are so many, it would be The Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. Born of a very fertile imagination, The Song of Achilles tells the spellbinding story of Prince Patroclus and his remarkable role in the life of the demigod Achilles, son of King Peleus. It's a tale of battles between gods and kings, a story of love in the face of adversity, and we can guarantee you will never have read anything like it before, so do treat yourself. Wishing you all happy reading over Christmas, from Bunratty. Hi, this is Anthony from the Manor Castle Book Club in Carton Cross, and if we were to recommend one book to spend your book tokens on, it would be A Different Drummer by William Melville Kelly. We love this novel for the questions it posed about what is happening today in America, even though it is set at the start of the civil rights movement, and describes what happens when a black farmer walks off his land and the entire African-American population of the state leave with him. Happy Christmas from County Monaghan. Let's head to Leitrim now to check in with someone who, by his own account, has gone slightly hog-wild with the Christmas decorations this year. I have heard tales of Santa hats and ropes of lights and projectors. Michael Harding, happy Christmas to you, and how are you? Happy Christmas to you, Rick, and I'm very well here in Leitrim, yeah. Tell me a a, a little bit about uh, winter in general and Christmas in Leitrim. Has that been, been greeted with something like relief where you are? Well... I think that everywhere in the country, people have put up more lights this year than other years. And I have been slow to do this, being an old-fashioned person who liked to look at real candles in windows and have old-fashioned cribs and all that sort of stuff. I used to look down my nose at the LED lights thrown over trees and santies and reindeers on patios and light up the walls. And this year I changed my attitude because I do feel a kind of a loneliness that everybody is feeling if you're 65 or over, a sense that the children will not be coming unless they're sure that they're clear of COVID. And and that means that you're looking at the possibility of empty chairs around the dinner table. And that's very strange if you're used to it for 20 years, the same little group, the family around the table. So I thought this year I would put a few extra pennies into the lights, even though there'd be nobody to see them, because I live in such a remote area. And I went into the various shops in Carrigan Shannon, I came out with boxes of LED stuff, and they weren't too expensive. You'd be getting bits at five euros and ten euros. And I'd scattered them all over the trees around the patio, and I stuck up a big reindeer a glowing reindeer on the patio and I look out at it and to me it's like the little candle in the wind years ago. It's a symbol that we will get through this and this is our light. This is our modern light shining in the darkness of COVID and so all them LED lights for me are an expression of hope. I am with you on that one, Michael. This is my first year putting up outdoor lights as well and possibly for slightly similar reasons as well. Uh, yeah. I, I've, no, I've no talent for it though and, and I've realised there's a giant bald patch on the side of the tree that I'm after putting them up in in the front garden. Do, do, do you have any talent for decoration? None whatsoever. I mean, there's 
there's houses there around Drumshambo and Carrick and Shannon and, and I'd be saying to myself, they must have architects and engineers planning them, you know, because the lines they're able to do around the trees are so perfect and all that crack. Oh, I just fling them at the tree from a distance and see will they hang on to the branches. And if they do, then I'm happy. So it would be a very disordered visual display that you'd be talking about up here. But there'd be very few people that see it because there's not many cars would go up and down the road here, you know. I wanted to ask you about what is beautiful in the sky. It was published in, in September. Do you think you have a different relationship with it now than with your other books? Uh, and have you in your own reading been kind of going back to old favourites or or maybe finding new ones in, in this year of all years? I think I'm at a stage where I've done, this is volume six of a memoir. I really think that it's the completion of it because... Looking back on the six books, I feel I can see now what I was at, even though when I'm writing them, I don't know what I'm at. And to be honest, when I was younger as a writer, I wrote plays and I wrote novels, and they were very much about me. They were very much about my life. And the transition for me as a writer was discovering that you can write other people's stories if you use your ears and listen to people. And that you'll never do better than the stories that are really out there in life. And so I became a kind of a, over 20 years or 15 years now, I'm chronicling ordinary life, not, not big dramatic events or not the kind of events that make novels, but the very small things that happen in private lives. I think that the one key to it is the sense of the next person you meet in your life is going to be the beginning of your life. The most wonderful things will happen in the next encounter you have. And that's not an ideology, that's not a religion, that's a sense of wonder at the mystery of other people in the world. Maybe I get that because I live in a quiet place and, and, you know, we're starved of a lot of company. And maybe in COVID, people have been starved of company. And I think that people have been led to this discovery. It deepens your appreciation of the interaction when it happens. And if you hadn't somebody in your family who had caught it, and if you were safe from it yourself, you, you, you felt a new sense of gratefulness just to be alive. So I think that this Christmas, when we do have encounter with other people, we will be embracing them with a deeper love, a deeper appreciation of them. And I think that they'll probably be less roused because people will let... They'll realise, you know, like, the arguments we have with each other are actually trivial compared to the beauty and wonder of being together. God, I hope that's true, Michael. In terms of what you were talking there about the isolation and about reaching out, I mean, you started a a podcasting project back in April. What, What made you have a crack at that? Well, it was the, it was the lockdown, and I thought it would be a nice thing to do up until the first of May, and it was because normally at this time of year I'd be touring the country from Donegal down to Kerry, doing the stage version of the book, and that was all cancelled, so I had no way to connect with an audience, and I do enjoy chatting to people, so I thought the podcast did sort me out. And it would be maybe a nice thing to do a podcast that was encouraging for other people. So it's more a phone call rather than a 
a radio show. Like, it doesn't have a kind of a, a professional style to it with a theme music or all that stuff. It's just me talking one-to-one to the listener. And I just am amazed at the reaction it got, the amount of listeners it gets, and the fact that I'm still doing it. I'm still doing it every weekend on... It's on the Patreon.com label. So it's kind of private in another sense. You have to pay for, I don't know, a bottle of beer for me once a month or two coffees or whatever. About five euros a month. But, I mean, I'm still doing it and I feel that it's a kind of a very personal way of connecting with people through COVID and sharing my particular ideas, which my ideas are not religious ideas. I'm post-religious. But in some sense, I'm trying to discover... How do we have faith in a world post-religious faith? That's what I'm always looking for in all my stories, and all my books. I'm trying to find what's sacred in human interactions, even though we've moved and healthily moved beyond institutional religion, you know? Maybe just to finish, Michael, given the year that's in it, what is Christmas going to mean for you then this year for 2020? Well, I, I think it'll mean... As it always does, every year there's a ritual and we go through it with the family. And even if people, even if those empty chairs, we'll still do the whole ritual and we'll raise our glasses and we'll be on Zoom to people in Kent, in England and other places in the world. And we'll do it like the ritual matters, that we're signifying it's a time to encounter family and to be grateful for family, and to be amazed at family. And I think that it's also really deeply true for me that your pet, your animals are family. The trees, the the environment, for people who don't have a companion or whose companion has gone away, you still have family in the way that you're living in the world. You're, you're never alone. And that, I think, is the Christmas message. And even the people who have passed away, particularly from COVID, I suppose I'd say that I I believe they're deeply with us eternally. They're always there, present. And Christmas, again, is just that time of making family out of whoever is with you. Michael Harding, have a safe and a warm and a lovely Christmas. And thanks a million for joining us on The Book Show. And thank you very much. And a happy Christmas. Hi, this is Cyril Downs from the Book, Movie, Whiskey and Album Club in Limerick. If we had to recommend one book to spend your vouchers on, it would be The Great Unexpected by Dan Mooney. This is a beautifully written, funny, thought-provoking book about ageing, family, friendship, reconciliation and redemption. Happy Christmas all from Limerick, the home of Liam McCarthy. Hi, I'm Dimha McKenna from the Reading and Feeding Book Club. If we could recommend one book for your Christmas spend, it would be Three Hours by Rosamond Lupton. This tense, gripping thriller is about a school shooting in England. Reading it, you will question the role of the media, the increase in hate and extremism, and how vulnerable even our children are in this age of social media. Most of all, though, you will read a story of courage, of love, and of never giving up hope. Happy Christmas from us all in Drogheda.
For the final part of the show, I'm joined in studio by the first married couple to be nominated for an Irish Book Award in the same year, and that was this year. Hello, Anna Carey. Hello, Patrick Frayne. Hello. Happy Christmas. (laughs) I'm I'm kind of using you as well, and I'm conscious that I am, because earlier on in the year on on Shelf Analysis, uh, Patrick, I spoke to you, and at the very end, uh, yourself and Anna did a song. And it was so beautiful and so heartrending that I thought, if there's any way I can exploit them at the end of this year's book show, <laughs> then we may as well try and do that. We're an exploitable resource. This We're quite true. happy for that. Um, you're going to do a, a couple of songs for us. So before we chat, uh, what's the first song? So Everything is Free Now, which is an amazing song by Gillian Welsh and Dave Rawlings, which now gets covered a lot because it speaks to what a lot of artists are feeling. And after this year, I think it's really, really important to support the arts and Everything is Free Now is kind of a song about artists not getting paid, basically. And the fact that there's sort of a, an assumption that everybody has, you know, can just get read whatever they want or listen to whatever they want or watch whatever they want without paying the people who uh, who made it. Which sounds very mercenary, but the arts could not survive if, uh, you know, without people earning a living for it because artists got to eat. free now That's what they say Everything I ever done Gotta give it away Someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do Tip jar, gas up the car, and try to make a little change down at the bar. Or I could get a straight job, I've done it before. I never minded working hard. Who I'm working for Cause everything is free now That's what they say Everything I ever done Gonna give it away Someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay Every day I wake up Humming a song But I don't need to run around I just stay you want to hear 
you can sing it yourself cause everything is free now that's what they say everything I ever done I gotta give it away someone hit the big score they figured it out that we're gonna do it anyway even if it doesn't pay cause everything is free now that's what they say everything I ever done I gotta give it Someone hit the big score They figured it out That we're gonna do it anyway Even if it doesn't pay I'm, I'm, I'm doing this for a couple of reasons. Firstly, that was absolutely gorgeous. Secondly, in a normal year, we would be doing this in front of an audience and in front of a room full of people. So mm. I'm, I'm the sad substitute for what you'd, <laughs> you'd normally get for, from, from an audience. It, it has been an extraordinary year for both of you, not just because you're both nominated for, for, for book awards this year, um, but for Patrick. So your first book has come out this year. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do your stupid idea, which has been wildly successful is that putting it mildly um, I, I don't know like I think maybe I've got like ridiculous ambitions so I feel unless I'm king of the world it's been a failure <laughs> no, no I was really pleased and it's really nice because it was a book of kind of personal essays and it's really nice to have people respond to it so you get emails every now and again from people that I don't know just saying I really like this particular essay and so that that's kind of been a lovely part of the second half of the year and, and this is obviously not a new experience for you at all. But the, but the boldness of Betty is a book about the lockout during yes. lockdown. Yes, that's true. Um, I hope I actually had a, a fear that people would see the words Dublin lockout and think it was lockdown connected. And you know they may not necessarily want to read about that at the moment. But yes, it is set in 1913, and uh, there is no um, COVID-free zone. Basically, what about next year? What plans do you guys have? Do you have any? I'd like to see people. Yes. <laughs> like generally, I think like most people, it would be really yeah. nice to see people. And actually books wise, like I, this was my first year with a book out and it was lovely to do like all the online events. But I would love to go to a book festival, mm. just any book festival and, and see an author read in person and sit in an own audience. I think I miss hugging complete strangers at book festivals because it's one of those things that happen. You know, you meet people and they want to have the chats with you or maybe it's an author you've never met before but you really like their stuff and you end up all getting on with people. That's a kind of giant absence in all of our lives this year. Just random serendipity which, you know, you can get at festivals. You, oh, get, you can get just walking around town. You, you know, know, not planning things in advance. Oh, yeah. I miss those things days. Um, you've uh, volunteered to finish off the programme for us and thank you very much um, for that. You're going to do one more song for us in just a second. Before we do that, uh, that is it for the Book Show Christmas Special. We are back in spring 2021. You can check out all of the podcasts from the year in our absence where you would normally find yours. Thanks to everybody who took part. Uh, Liz Newton, Catherine Ryan Howard, they're in the Grifa. 
Elaine Feeney, Mike McCormick, Michael Harding, all of our book clubs from Wicklow and Offaly, Antrim, Cork, Clare, Monaghan, Limerick and Louth, and to producer Owen Sweeney, who is the Wizard of Oz behind the curtains and is the one pressing all of the buttons. Uh, Anna Carey, Patrick Frayne, you're going to play us out with what? Um, with the Christmas song that always makes me cry at the best of times. But this year, I uh, it's it's a miracle if I can get through this song without <laughs> without crying now, because it is. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. And a happy Christmas and a happy new year to both of you. Happy Same Christmas. to you. <laughs> Yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. Next year, all our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Smile.